Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, the podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, a coach, and administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? On today's show, we're going to talk about the realities of high school athletics, what's working, what needs fixing, and what does the future look like? With me today is Charlene Falsa-Stevens, the athletic director for Torrey Pines High School. Charlene, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you about high school sports today because we've been working to improve the culture for several years. We've made some progress, uh, but we still have a lot of work to do. As the current athletic director of the year for San Diego County, you've got the unique perspective that I think will resonate with our audience. Uh, But before we jump in, why don't you give us a little bit about your background, about yourself? All right. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm really honored. Well, to tell you a little bit about myself, this is my 35th year being in sports. I'm going all the way back to when I started um, with athletics in elementary school. And to tell you the truth, a lot of the things that I did as a child has a lot to do with where I am as a person, coach, athlete, mom um, today. So just to give you a little bit about my background, um, I did 13 different activities when I was 13 years old. My mom put me in absolutely everything from dance to music to athletics to acting and modeling. She she got me involved in absolutely everything. And um, when I got into high school, I was um, a three-sport varsity athlete. Um, Which sports? I, I, was, I swam, played basketball, and ran track. Wow. And then continued on to running track for Davis. Did four years of um, college track there, majored in zoology, and then moved to San Diego. Um, I moved here because I wanted to coach, and I started coaching at – What did you um, want to coach when you started? Track. Track. I wanted to coach track. Um, I had taken a – track class in college about introducing all the different sports and I learned a lot about periodization about recovery about just training in general and my college coach was a great mentor so I decided I didn't know what I wanted to really do coming out of college was one of those kids who went to four years and came out of it and still didn't have a clue what she wanted to do so I did something I was comfortable with, which was coaching. Um, and I coached, I started coaching at Mount Carmel. And when I started coaching, I realized I wanted to start helping in the classroom. So I started volunteering in the biology you got class and I got hooked. Yeah. I started, actually, I started tutoring. I started tutoring my athletes after school, um, bribed them with pizza as long as they would sit and study. <laughs> Food always works. And after that, um, got my teaching credential, um, started teaching at Poway, and then moved over to Tory. And what and, do you teach? And here I am today. I'm teaching chemistry. I teach sheltered chemistry and CP chemistry, college prep chemistry, um, and track PE. And then my side gig is athletic director. Yeah, your side gig. <laughs> and then mom of two boys. Yeah. So let's be clear. Her side gig is athletic director at one of the most successful <laughs> athletic schools in the state of California. So yes, it's a side <laughs> hustle. Um, she gets paid roughly three and a half cents an hour uh, for that. Um, yeah. So you, so people who aren't familiar with how a, an athletic director works at a school, typically they will have uh, a teacher will have five sections that they teach. For example, you have three and then two of your sections are for athletic your track. AD. Yeah. And it's a gargantuan amount of work for any AD at any school. Uh, and at a school our size with 2,600 students, 52-ish? Something right varsity there. sports, something like that? Oh, we have, as of today, we have 28 varsity sports on campus now. 
and it really is about managing coaches and the facilities um, and the athletes. So my role is really I'm the middle I'm the middleman. Right. That's that's the job of the AD, and and it's to make sure that um, the philosophy of the school in terms of athletics is understood by all facets the coaches, the teachers, the parents, the athletes, the community, and just making sure everything, you know, goes through smoothly. So it can be a very lonely job. I was told that early in my, when I accepted the athletic job, athletic director job, that it is a lonely job at the top um, because even if I am a head track coach, I oversee all of the coaches. Right. So I have to make sure that, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and what's best for kids. Which is also a very good name for a podcast, by the way. Um, yeah. And I, I think you're, as usual, underselling yourself a little bit because you also do a lot of managing of personalities. And one of the, uh, the talents you've got that I've noticed over the years is your ability to uh, almost be a coach whisperer. And be able to explain to the coach who's having trouble in some area, whether it's with fans or players or admin or whatever it might be, and help them really understand the lay of the land and how to navigate all that. And that's a unique skill uh, because not everybody has it and you do and you have to deal with coaches on a very, very high level. So I hope you give yourself credit for that. Thank you. There's a reason you're athletic director of the year. I'm just saying. I'm going to keep bringing it up, by the way. And you know what else? I'm realizing that one of the great things about doing this podcast is you and I have worked together for 15 years. I didn't know most of what you just said, like about your history. That's amazing to me. So it, it's thank you for sharing that. When I think back at it, I'm like, it's given me the opportunity to try a lot of different things, um, figure out what's really best for me. Where am I, where am I, what am I good at? What am I not good at? But still take, still bring all of those pieces together. Um, it's what I've learned as actually being the head track coach. It's actually, being the head track coach has helped me tremendously yeah. for being um, an athletic director. Because I am, I have 12 coaches on staff and every single coach is a mini head coach because they're in, co they're in charge of their own event area. Right. So they need to make sure that they're passing information on to their athletes, that they're coaching um, their athletes to their best of their ability. And then they have somebody to bounce ideas off of, just make sure that is it, is what they're doing in line with what is in what the pro program expectation is. Well, it's the same thing as, as the AD. It is making sure that yeah. my coaches understand all of the expectations you know, because it's about developing a student athlete. It's not about winning. Winning is just a byproduct of that. If you're developing the student athlete, presumably the winning should take place, but whether it takes place or not really isn't the point. Correct. And okay, so now the podcast is over. We're done. That was the whole point of this. I'm kidding. Um, but no, that's a great point. And that is really what we wanted to talk about today is because I think that is missed far too often. That uh, And that leads into really what my first question is, is what do you think is the why of high school athletics? What is, why do we have them? What's the benefit? Um, what's the point of having these at all? Because it is a huge undertaking every year, can have a lot of joy, but also creates a lot of stress for a lot of people. So you've got an incredible background going on back with having 13 things to do when you were 13. Um, so for you, what is the why you've seen it from every level? What is the why of high school athletics? To be involved, to be involved, to have an identity, to um, be successful, um, to make a connection, to relieve stress. It's really all of those things, but ultimately really the big one to just be involved. We have such amazing athletes at this school. Um, and ultimately, they want to all play for their high school. Yeah. Yeah. That, that says a lot. That says a lot about our programs. Um, but it also says a lot about our school. They want to play for their school. You know, it's, it's, they're not their individual little club athlete. They're a bunch of club athletes coming together 
to make one amazing team. It doesn't mean that you have to participate in club. We have to be able to participate in athletics at Torrey right, Pines. Right. You, you can. There's so many sports out that we have that any athlete or any student who's never done a sport can go out for. Yeah. I couldn't agree more that the the core of high school athletics should be about that belonging, should be about that connection to your school. You only get these four years to represent your high school. And as I tell parents all the time when I go to meetings um, or get, give presentations before they come here is, you know, people don't really go to their middle school reunion and it's pretty rare to even go to your college reunion. But we all have this nagging feeling like we need to go back to our high school reunion. There's a special connection we have with our high school and athletics creates an even deeper connection with your school, just as any extracurricular does. You know, for me, it was drama back in the day. I did a lot of plays and, and um, very similar to athletics. I, I was also a wrestler. Actually, I did. Um, yes, I was on the wrestling team. Yeah, for it was a fun story when I told my wrestling coach I had to I wasn't coming out the next season because I was going to do more drama. That's not something he had heard very often. So that was that was a fun conversation. But I agree with you that connection um, sometimes gets lost in the in the maelstrom of all of the other demands on high school athletics. And that kind of leads me into question number two here. And that is, since you've had such a vast background um, yourself as a, as a student athlete and uh, at uh, as a coach at multiple sites and a teacher at different sites, what do you think is different now with high school athletics than uh, back when you were a student athlete? Today, there's a lot more opportunities. There are a lot more sports. There's a lot more opportunity for athletes to try those sports at a very young age. So by the time they get to high school, um, some of them already know which sports they're going to want to continue in. Um, when we were in when we were in high school, back in the '80s and '90s, um, at least it was for me. Back in the 90s. 80s for me, 90s for you, yes. <laughs> um, club sports really didn't exist. There were right. a few sports that had club, swimming, soccer, probably volleyball. But for the most part, if you wanted to participate in athletics, you started in school. So there was probably some sort of middle school program you know, where you were playing basketball or um, sort of playing open volleyball. Gym it, yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, it, I started off with middle school sports. My my elementary and junior high school had the track program. They had a volleyball program. They had wow. a basketball program, and the kids in my classes were joined those sports. Um, so that was my my first introduction to like playing softball or playing volleyball. Yeah, and, it, and that's where I figured out what I'm successful in and what I'm not successful in because those, the ones I was, I was successful in, I continued on and, and played in, in high school. Um, and, but it was, if you finished one sport, I swam in high school. Then after that, I went to basketball. I wasn't a great basketball player, but I wanted to be involved in school. Yeah. And once basketball season was over, then I went on to track season, which was, you know, my best sport. So what I liked about being a three-sport athlete was I was building I was building my muscles, I was building my um my strength in other sports and that lent meant my favorite sport was going to be even better. Yeah. So and I also didn't get bored. If, Right. Really, yeah. a lot of it is also that. I didn't get bored with my sport. You know, if I got frustrated, I could move on to another sport. And, and, and once I got tired and frustrated with that sport, I moved on to the next sport. So, but ultimately, being a three-sport athlete, you know, I got to represent my high school in three different sports. And ultimately, it was varsity in all three sports. Um, my high school basketball team went to state. Wow. Um, it, it's the only team. What school? Where was it? It was private, all girls Catholic high school in 
um, the Bay Area. It was Mercy High School in Burlingame. Okay. Right. So it was the first school, to, it was the first team to ever make it to state in basketball. I was the first athlete in my school to make it to state in the track. Um, kind of heck I of a resume. I think I still have the school record. I think I still have the school record. Let's look, look into back. that later. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny you say that. I just I hadn't really connected some of these dots because you said one of the differences in high school then and now is more opportunity now. And we're going to talk about it in a little while. And yet, uh, because there's more specialization now, even with more opportunity. So that, that seems counterintuitive. You had less opportunity, so you were more diverse versus we have more options for people, but then they just got more specialized. Um, and so we're going to talk about specialization in, in a second, but I want to stay on kind of this why a little bit and what, what the benefits of high school athletics uh, are for our students and what do you think are some of the lessons we want student athletes to take from athletics? Because I think all too often we get focused on the end result, the W, the D1 scholarship, whatever it might be. But really, what are the lessons that we want them to take away from being a, a student athlete? I want our athletes to have grit. That probably is the one of the most important things is to have mental toughness. Yeah. Um, it's so easy for them to, it, it, they're on their phones all the time. And so it's easy for them to like stop paying attention to what's going on directly in front of them. Um, and they're so easily distracted. So being able to focus on something and even when it's hard, still stay focused on it is a challenge for these kids. Yeah. Are you seeing, um, I mean, I know you've got, what, 75, 80 athletes on the track team that you're trying to manage? Only 240. 240, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, are you finding them not even being able to get through practice without spending some time on the phone? Some of them. Yeah. Some of them. I'm easily distracted by what is... It could be because mom or dad is texting them in the middle of practice right. and they need to make sure that they know what's going on. You know, are they getting picked up or et cetera? Or these kids have their AirPods in their ears during practice. So you may be talking to them and they're not actually even paying attention to you, whether it's listening to music or having a conversation with somebody else. That's always my favorite when you say something to somebody and they go, uh-huh, and turn around and you see the little white thing in their ear and they weren't talking to you at all. What other lessons do you think? I, I, I love the idea of grit. We know that um, our students need that more than, uh, need that more now than ever before uh, because we're seeing a decline in resilience, sort of a, an instant. There's a roadblock in front of me. Who's going to move it out of the way for me? There's, there's that, but it, there's also, um, there's there, all the components of, of being in a sport, learning how to become a leader, learning how to, um, how to lose, how to yes. lose gracefully. Yes. yes. Um, how to handle frustrations during a game and still have composure, how to get your team to want it as badly as you do. Mm. What does that take? Now, this is the, is it? It's it's more than just preseason training. Yeah, it's more than just getting physically into shape, and it takes a few key athletes to make that team a great team. And we've had some great teams over the years. We are fortunate in that we've got, by last count, more CIF championships than any other public school, at least in San Diego section. Chanel uh, just asked me this question And too. it might even be Southern section. I'd have to look it up. But we've got more than 200 CIF championships, a number of state championships. We've done very, very well. We're around 260. Is it uh, all the way up to 260? It's around 260, I want to say. And a few years ago, as we know, Max Preps used our logo to represent the state of California for athletics, which is, again, one of the only public schools in the country that had its logo. 
uh, on a state, not to mention a state as big as California. So we've been very, very fortunate to have some amazing athletes. And um, so that leads me to, I want to start discussing some of the challenges that uh, schools face with athletics because we're ahead of the curve in a lot of ways because we have been so successful. So we've seen some of these problems before other schools might see them and other schools have different problems as well. I mean, this is sort of an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways. We have these great teams and then we complain about some of the problems. But what are some of the challenges that a, a, a successful school like ours face? I think one of the big ones I see is there's an expectation for us to perform great always. Yeah. Couldn't and, agree more. And when we fail... On when or when we lose, and it happens, it, it seems to be more painful. Yeah, um, it, it just seems to be so much more painful that the like that we didn't achieve our goal. All we did was just lose a game. It's 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 it happens. Um, but it, it feels like our student body feels that we're not allowed to lose. Yeah, which goes right back to the point you made earlier about part of the lesson we need our kids to learn is losing. How to lose is such an important part of life. And yet we bring to in a successful athletic program, it's like, but we've always won. So we can't lose what well, we did. And, is, and yeah. this sounds crazy, but we should. Uh, because if we just win all the time, we don't learn uh, uh, from, from the sport about ourselves, et cetera. And I've noticed simultaneously the the other part of that is there's this expectation we win all the time, and yet everywhere we go, people definitely want to beat us. You know, we're the Yankees, we're the Dallas Cowboys, whoever, you know, whatever athletic villain you want to pick, we tend to be that school, you know, and sometimes for very good reason, because we have beat other teams in the past, and that creates rivalry, and it builds and builds and builds, and uh, so that adds what I see is a lot of pressure onto the students and the families. And I think that adds a little bit to what you're talking about, that when we lose, there's that much more heat on that loss than there might normally be. Well, it's, it's also goes with, we're always watched. Yeah. We're, we're always watched. Um, so our athletes, you know, if they make a mistake, you know, can that, can that mistake be corrected? You know, they're kids. Yeah. They will make mistakes. They're not perfect in any way. Um, our goal is to have them anticipate a situation so they don't make that mistake. But that comes with experience and maturity and time. You know, it's, it's, those were, that's what our coaches face. Our coaches face teaching them, you know, how to anticipate situations. It isn't, that's a lot of what they're teaching is, you know, it's, it's in their plays. It's, they're trying to prepare them. This, if this happens, what do you do now? Yeah. You know, so that they can hopefully recognize that during the game. Some of the kids can pick up on that. Some of the kids can't. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but one of the other challenges I, I have seen, and it's connected with what happens academically with us because we're also a successful school academically, is you know the pressure we see on academics with students to get into a college same thing happens with our athletes so they have to perform at a certain level or they're not going to get the brass ring that is the d1 scholarship mm -hmm. uh, and i think that pressure on kids that starts very very young again we're going to talk about specialization <laughs> later which i'm not a huge fan of <laughs> Um, it starts very, very young. And then by the time they get to that junior, senior year, when they know everybody's watching and that energy has got to go someplace and sometimes it comes out in the wrong ways. Yeah. I, like I said, we have amazing athletes. It is, we have to teach them how to lead their teams, how to handle that stress and that pressure. Um, I think we do a pretty good job as a school of being pretty balanced yeah. um, because, you know, our student body, see, we have kids coming here that are coming from CCA that they, 
there's so much less stressed here. The expectation, there's expectations, but it's not always just about school. Right. They find themselves having better balance in their life. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to make some of our teams um, because you have to have been playing that sport for a while. And that's what you're competing against are all those same kids. And I, and I think in fairness, I think someone from, and for those of you who are not familiar, CCA is Canyon Crest Academy, which is another school in our district down the street that has uh, what's called a four by four schedule. So the kids take uh, up to four classes each semester, but they jam a whole year's worth of curriculum into that semester. So it moves pretty quickly. Um, and I think their argument would be that the athletic pressure here is way higher than it might be there. And so it does balance out. And so students come here and yes, they might feel less academic pressure and more freedom with their sport. But at the same time, I can tell you, if you play girls volleyball, as we know, with our state champion girls volleyball team, making that team is going to be very stressful because um, they're very, very competitive. Or our golf team that had to create two varsity teams because they didn't have a dividing line between them. Uh, so we're tennis or we can pick other sports. So I think that pressure uh, works both ways uh, with our with our schools. I'm going to go back to some other challenges. Um, I think some of our challenges are are also for some of these programs. It's easy to win sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it is checking that ego, checking that um, that confidence, uh, and becoming overconfident. Right. Right. It's you want them to still be good sportsmen, to have good sportsmanship to be kind to their competitor. When you're competing, whoever is the best wins, you yeah. know? But when you're not competing, they should at least be, not necessarily friends, but at least cordial with each other, respectful. That is one of the interesting things uh, about, you're talking about the club component that I've noticed at times that one of the actual benefits of the club component is watching at the high school level this, like it's, I've seen it a lot in soccer. They'll be on the same club, but on different high school teams. And so then after the games, they go up to each other and there's a nice camaraderie. As we know, soccer can get very, very heated. But I like seeing that. And it sounds strange to want even more of the club component there, but they learn how to navigate that a little bit better because they know that right when the season's over, they're right back on the same team together. Um, it is similar to, you know, the professional world where you've got players that are playing on uh, on their club teams and then go to their national teams and have to compete against each other. And um, it is nice to see that in, in high school when it works. It doesn't always work. And the club component, which we'll talk about again later, can be very complicated because it can be too influential on the high school team. And that's... That's a whole other can of worms. Well, I think it has that part of that has a lot to do with where is that athlete being recognized by the colleges? Mm -hmm. Now, for some sports like volleyball, soccer, it's club where it, it's 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 club competitions where, that are that colleges visit. Right. So when they come to high school, high school's fun. You know, I hear that. I hear that a lot about soccer. Soccer is when it when they're playing high school soccer, it's supposed to be the fun time. So is that speaking of that club, um, you know, issue and the, the blurring of the lines and all that sort of thing, you know, years ago, it seemed like we had a lot more teacher coaches, or at least that's the perception. And I'm kind of curious what you think about that. We get a lot of feedback. Why don't you have more teachers uh, who are also coaches? And it's a valid question because these are trained educators and it helps to have a trained educator. And that's certainly the goal. But what are some of the challenges we face with trying to find those people? And what is the reality uh, with trying to find teacher coaches? Well, I would love for all of my coaches to be teacher coaches. So let me start with that. Because teacher co coaches that are teachers understand the culture of the school. True. They understand. They understand the what's going on with the students on campus. They're more available. Mm -hmm. 
A, a student can walk into their classroom at lunchtime and have a conversation. Um, they're much more approachable. Uh, you'll see coaches show up at, teacher coaches show up at all kinds of games, not just their sport. And not just games. And not Plays, just games. Plays, you know, they work dances. They they see them in, in other contexts, mm -hmm. which is really, I think, helpful for the players and creates that really deep, lasting personal connection that you were talking about earlier. And that's the point of high school athletics. The hard part is find, because we're in a world of specialization, mm -hmm. that you have to have a coach that understands their sport, their sport in today's world, um, and can help take that athlete to that next level. Right. So if that coach doesn't, didn't play at the collegiate level, the chances of that coach being successful as a high school coach become less. Yeah, and that's the the tightrope we're always walking. So a high school teacher might be better at creating that connection, understanding the student, but they don't understand the sport. Like if you had me coach lacrosse right now, it would be a disaster, absolute disaster. I've been on the sidelines again for 15 years of lacrosse. I'm still figuring out the rules. Um, field hockey, same thing. Okay. Could not, you know, I could, I could teach, I could work with the kids. I'd be great with them. But this, the, the specifics of the sports, the X's and O's, as they say, no way. Um, and that's the challenge. So we get, you know, parents and players who want to play at the highest level. So to do that, you need to know somebody, you need to find somebody who can handle. And coach at the highest, at, at coach at that level to right. help their child get, get to that next level and have those college connections. And exactly. as a teacher coach, um, I feel my role is to make those connections with those athletes. Um, I'm fortunate that within the world of track and field, um, I'm always willing to find workouts, improve myself as a coach so that I help my athletes achieve their goals. But not all coaches have that time. But you're a bit of a unicorn. Is I mean, you've got to admit, right? I mean, you, it's not easy to find a Charlene Falsa Stevens. You know, somebody who grew up the way you grew up, had the experience in athletics, then became a teacher. I mean, it's a, it was an amazing pipeline because, you know, but you were originally a walk-on coach. Yes. And that led to education. Yes. Then you yes. became a coach again simultaneously. So there is some value to getting those walk-on coaches because we've got a number on campus right now who are now getting their teaching credentials. So I think sometimes the public misunderstands that. It's why doesn't the teacher just, you know, uh, why can't we just require all of the coaches to be classroom teachers, which we know we can't do. It's a ridiculous number of hours. You'd have to, you have to love what you do because they're getting paid pennies on the dollar to coach. We all know that. Um, it's just not that simple, uh, especially when it comes to that, that instructional piece of it. Well, teaching at Tory or just teaching in general, um, you have to know your subject. And the making connections with kids, that's the easy part for a coach because right. they're already doing that on the field. But in the classroom, the classroom management, the, um, the information you need to share with them and teach them, their goal from your class is to move on to, you know, the next level of that particular subject. Right. Um, you want them to love their subject just as much as you want them to love their sport. But with the sport and the subject can be very different because they're making a choice to come out for yes. track or to play soccer. Not for you school. Know, right. But they have to take chemistry. And I'm a good example of that. I had to take chemistry. All due respect, I did not want to take chemistry. Okay. Found it super interesting. Wasn't great at it but found it super interesting, but I had to do it. But I wanted to go out for plays. I wanted to go out for wrestling. I wanted to play soccer. And that creates a different connection with a coach as well. And so I think that's where it really gets strong is when a player who goes out for track and then is able to connect with you in the classroom as well in, a, in something maybe they didn't really want to do. Now that bond is really strong. So there is a huge value to it. 
but these are a lot of unicorns. It's not every day you can find somebody who's got both of those talents. Sometimes they're just really, really good coaches. And sometimes they're just really, really good teachers and they need to stay there. Cause I also don't want to pull a teacher out of a classroom and have their instruction go down because they're too exhausted from the games the night before. No. And, or they're being pulled out at the end of the school day because their games are right after school and right, now they're right. missing class to go to games. You know, it's as a teacher, your, your first priority is the classroom. Truly the coaching is secondary. Completely agree. Um, and so however you design your lessons, you still need to get through the material because this kid still needs to have, they, they still have to have enough breadth of knowledge for them to be successful in future classes, whether it's science or math or English or history, you know? You know, that's a really good point that um, I had actually uh, not thought about before that I think we all need to remember is that when you have that teacher coach, they miss more class. And then we've got that academic pressure that affects everybody. And especially with the later start time, we know that we're going to have teacher coaches missing, missing even more school, that we're going to have home games that have release times, which is something we've never dealt with in the past. You know, baseball players we know are going to have to miss more class because they've got to go warm up because of repetitive motion injuries and all that sort of thing. We have player safety is important. So that's a really, really I'm glad you brought that point up. Thank you. It's, it's coaches that actually, it's it's my off-campus coaches that have to be aware of what's going on with their athletes at the end of the day. Like they have to be, they have to remember they're the ones pulling that kid out of that class. Some of them are going to be missing the entire last period of the day, right? Multiple times in that week, and it's a disservice to the child. Because it means makeup work, it means exhaustion, it means a little bit more stress. They're lack, they're they lose confidence in that subject. Yeah. You know, and and if they're not the type of student athlete that um, advocates for themselves, then you know, I I can imagine having that student, like that baseball student, for example, in chemistry at the end of the day, and I teach chemistry at the end of the day and they miss my class three times that week and in my mind I'm trying to think how am I going to get this kid caught up so that they're still going to be successful on their assessments right and then we get all the time so can't you just schedule you know those classes earlier in the day and I'm like okay so which classes don't mean as much you know, I used to get that all the time because I taught uh, film and video production. It was like, well, in my real classes, I'm like, oh, okay, this class just got very real for you. Uh, so, you know, and I know what they mean. They mean they're core academic classes, and we've had requests from parents all the time. He can't have chemistry is one that comes up all the time. Can't have chemistry in the afternoon because he's going to, you know, be gone he's all playing the time. baseball. Uh, and he'll be gone all the time and miss too much. And we don't have the flexibility of the master schedule to say, okay, all of our athletes can only take electives in the afternoon. Well, that's a disservice to them too, because electives don't have homework typically. And so they're missing the entire instruction and all the lab, which now a teacher's got to figure out how to make up. So there is no way to balance that. Um, I mean, don't get me started on the later start time. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast uh, for another day. So, um, But it is something I have to make sure my coaches are aware, Yeah, you know, that maybe your practice time is going to have to be a little bit later. So that way you're athletes can catch up with their teachers right after school. Well, I've, I've never understood uh, is how anybody from the private sector is able to coach for us. Like when we have a walk-on coach, I'm like, how on earth do you do it? Like, how do you get away from work? I remember talking to a soccer coach one year when I was coaching and I, and you know, he, he had just beat us and, and uh, I walked up and I said, how do you do this? Uh, and he goes, look, I'm an insurance agent. I can, you know, kind of adjust my schedule for a little time out of the year. I'm like, okay, that's good to know. Cause nine to five, there's no way you'd be able to coach. So it's amazing. We get walk-on coaches at all. I, I certainly do not mean to disparage any of our walk-on coaches. Cause we've had some amazing, some of them like you who then went into teaching. <laughs> well, I think due to COVID, you know, there's a, a great number of people now also working from home. Yeah, true. So yeah. since they're, their time isn't as closely 
watched, and as long as they're getting their job done, they can schedule their practice times around that. Yeah. So it, it, the world is very different. The world is very, very different right now when it comes to um, when it comes to a lot of stuff. One of them. Yeah. So, parents, and I will include myself here, often joke and say, you know what, you better get a, a scholarship so you can go to college. And we do say this as a joke. And yet, there's a lot of truth in some jokes. And I think there is a lot of truth in that one. And it puts pressure on kids. I mean, if, if, do you, or I should ask, do you think that puts some pressure on kids, the sort of trope we've got of, hey, you better get a D1 scholarship? I think for the, well, lay back up. My, I, I have a sophomore in college, in high school right now. I have a freshman in college. Um, no, and I'm don't. guilty no, of it don't. as There's well. still seven and eight. Stop it. <laughs> one is now, wow. one is now a freshman, but just got his license. And the other one um, is a sophomore um, in a very academic school, just like CCA. Mm-hmm. So I'm guilty of joking with them about that as well. But is there is obviously a little bit of reality to it because there is the, yeah the students are aware that college is expensive, and if they can participate in their sport at the collegiate level and get a little bit of money or a full ride scholarship, mm-hmm. it's a tremendous help to their family. Um, parents invest. Parents are investing in their child for lots and lots of years, you know, whether in, in the club world. And so in some ways, I think, in, you know, they're hoping, they're definitely hoping, there, there's, no, there's no guarantee, but they're hoping that there's going to be some sort of return on their investment. Right. Um, I think sometimes, let's be honest, it's more than hope. There is expectation. I, I will fully admit to my son playing Little League, and in caps, which is what, just above T-ball. And he started pitching. And I was like, wow, because I can't throw a baseball straight to save my life. And then the next year he was becoming an actual pitcher. And by the, the end of it, when he was 12, <laughs> he could actually pitch and had different pitches and all that. And I remember coming to the baseball coach here and starting to talk to him about it. Because all of a sudden I started thinking, well, if he is good at this, maybe that would be a way into college. And I, you know, here I am a trained educator and an administrator. I'm over athletics at Torrey Pines and I'm getting sucked into it. Like, okay, here it is. That brass ring, as I, as I say, could it save me $160,000 on college? And I get it. And I, I, but I've also seen it truly as that joke. We joke, you know, all these families joking about that, the kids kind of tensing up. And I, I want to kind of bring it out in the open and say, let's stop making this joke. Because as we've seen from the college admission scandal, those scholarships are becoming more difficult to get because sometimes people aren't playing by the rules. And so we're putting this pressure on our kids to do this when neither one of my kids got a scholarship. I mean, uh, my daughter got a merit scholarship, so that helped a little bit, but we're going to be paying for college for a very long time. And it's worth the investment in their lives. Um, because I want to get back to what you talked about earlier with athletics in that connection, whether it's connecting with their college, watching both of my kids really connect with their college through athletics, and they're not playing them at their schools, just enjoying them. Um, and really being well-rounded students because of their connection there and not having the dollar sign connected to it. Cause I think that's just really hard on kids who are already vulnerable and are lacking the grit that you talked about earlier. Well, those that are already successful in their sport, obviously it's a, it's a little bit easier for them as hopefully getting recognized by whatever school they want to attend, depending on the school size depending on um, the level of competition. You know, it, it's taking advantage of an opportunity. Now, I have um, two twin um, athletes right now who are trying to determine what college they want to attend 
because they're originally from Poland. Mm. And both of them finaled in the 300 hurdles um, at the California State Meet last year. One of them finished second, the other one finished eighth. To pretty be incredible. there, to be there at all yeah. is in- pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and they're for juniors, so I, I get to have them for one more year. But they're trying to decide right now what kind of college they want to attend. Um, do they want to attend together? Do they want to attend separately? Or do they want to go back to Poland where they, because both of them want to be in the medical field in some way, mm. where education could be potentially free for them there. Right. No. And so right now they are looking for colleges that will give them money, get them a scholarship. And they're finding it very, very hard to navigate that world. Absolutely. It's incredibly complex. No, and it, it, it's it's kind of an eye opener for me as well as to because I have it's been a long time since I've really had to help an athlete get that make those college connections and figure out which school will best serve you know will best fit them and and I always tell my athletes when they're picking their schools go visit the school yeah walk on the campus. Yeah. Does it feel like you belong there? Does it have the major that you have? What happens when you get injured? What's right. what what happens next? Um, is it this is it the right school size? Can you handle the weather? There's so many aspects to picking a school. Um, it's it's and there's so many colleges out there. So it's for them, they're right now looking at is it do I want the SEs, the UCLA's, the Oregon's? those big D1 schools, or can I get something out of a smaller D1 school mm-hmm. that will give them, you know, the same opportunities, yeah, but we, it's not, it's not on the East, it's not on the West coast or it's not on the East coast. It's in the middle right. of the country. Yeah. Cause all too often, uh, we've got a very narrow list or a very short list of colleges that are acceptable. And I, work with parents all the time trying to remind them that the goal here at, at Tory at least is help the student find the college that fits them. Don't try to make them fit a particular college. And all too often we're trying to get that square peg into a round hole and say, okay, well, it's, you know, for certain athletics, it's got to be these three schools or certain academics, same thing. And that's another piece of the pressure versus we're, we're, we're missing the point. And now, you know, we've seen it in high schools. I mean, I have parents of second and sixth graders coming to my tours and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me because they're trying to figure out if they should move here. They've now decided that the high school is going to lead them to the next level. And I'm like, they're in second grade. Let's try some decaf. Let's relax a little bit. I've had fifth grade, I have parents of fifth graders who want to join, who want to make sure that their child makes our golf team. Right. Mike, you have four more years of school. How about just making sure that they get a good education? And find out if they really enjoy golf, because maybe they don't. (laughs) That might have a lot to do with that decision. Right, and that much golf might make them really not like golf. So it's, there's, there's a lot of pressures to navigate for the kids. Yeah, if parents can help their child make whatever decision is best for them, where's their best fit? Ultimately, you want them to be happy. That means you have to pay for college. It means you have to pay for college. Absolutely. And I think that's, you just said it right there, and I think that's a great point to to end um, part one of this podcast because we've got a lot more to talk about, so we're clearly going to have to go into a part two, but helping the student make the decision. And I think that's um, a challenge sometimes is we have trained our kids to let us make the decision and we feel like we've made had a conversation with them but really the kids know ultimately they just want to please the parent so they're going to go with what they think the parent is is wanting them to do and that's where i think that joke comes in when we make that little joke oh you better get a d1 scholarship we can you know so we can afford college the kid picks up on that and says well my parents want me to do this so i better do it when it all comes down to it, that's all we really want to do is please our parents. 
Same goes with my kids. Yeah. My kids feel the exact same way. Yeah. So we have to be very careful of our side comments, our jokes, our posts on Facebook, social media, et cetera, uh, because that adds pressure uh, on them all the time. I, I'll never forget when I stopped posting about my kids' athletics or academics or stuff like that because I saw their face one time and I went, oh, let's go get a picture. And their face just kind of dropped. And I went, oh, okay, we're all done with that. Like, I feel like I'm sharing it, like, with friends and family. No, I'm not. I'm doing it for my ego. <laughs> I'm putting it out there because, like, look how great my kid is. And, and they feel the pressure. And they that. feel the pressure. So I stopped, I stopped completely and they started navigating their, their own world uh, a lot more effectively. But. I'm surprisingly not on social media or I'm on it very minimally. Yeah. Um, and uh, my youngest right now is finding, he, he's, he's expanding his world and has decided that he wants to take a lot more harder academic classes. And I'm the absolute opposite. I'm like, slow down. We don't need to do all of this at once. I'm forgetting that I have to let him spread his wings right. too. Yeah. And make mistakes. Or surprise me and be that successful. So sometimes you have to remember as a parent to just take a step back believe that what we've done has been good enough to help them move on and be successful. Well said. <laughs> we'll close out part one on that point. Thank you so much, Charlene. We'll see you on the other side for part two. That's all for today's episode. Part two of this episode will post next Friday, October 14th. I want to thank my guest, Charlene Falsa-Stevens, for joining me today, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you join us for part two of our conversation and rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you stay curious and keep asking what's best for kids. Thanks for listening.